Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. Appreciated. It is I, William Powell, the King of DC Media himself. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Tonight I will have as my guest Skinny Corleone, CEO and owner of 49th Parallel Productions, and later Jonathan Tiersten from the classic movie Sleepaway Camp. But first, let's pause for some brief commercial messages. Actors, it's time to build your brand. Learn what it takes to empower, fortify, and unleash your potential. Visit www.actorsbrand.com forward slash inside acting. Actors Brand is a series of ongoing workshops designed to empower, fortify, and unleash your potential. Visit www.actorsbrand.com forward slash inside acting. Taught by veteran director, Pierre Walters, 
These workshops will help you get the work you need. So visit www.actorsbrand.com forward slash acting. Are you looking for entertainment in the form of a musician, an actor, a composer, a radio DJ, even a Howard Stern impersonator? I want you to check out my man. He's been a guest on the show before. Stuart Brodian. That's Stuart Brodian. Find him at stuartbrodian.webs.com. That's S-T-E-W-A-R-T-B-R-O-D-I-A-N.com. Webs, W-E-B-S dot com. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And before we go any further, let me tell you that Inside Acting is brought to you by DC Actors Examiners. Please go and subscribe to this fantastic column. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, by the way, you should be following me on Facebook. My handle is William.T.Powell, and my Twitter handle is Inside on the bar acting. So I want to go ahead and bring in my man, uh, Skinny Corleone. He's the CEO of 49th Parallel Productions. So let me bring him on in. Hey, How Skinny. you doing? How you doing? Hey, hey, how you man, doing? Man, I'm, I'm fantastic. I, I'm blessed and highly favored, man. All right, all right, all right. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, man, explain to, to my listeners what 49th Parallel Bookings and Management is all about. Um, yes, um, Fortnite Parallel Bookings and Management, it's all about, you know, it's really uh agency more like, you know, at first I was mainly like a freelance booking agent, but uh-huh. more like I'm putting a label to it now, so it's like an agency. So I don't, I, right now I kind of like represent like a whole dozen, maybe over 12, 14 people right now. Okay. At the moment, but it's, it's, it's a brand that like that puts more um, emphasis on the actors and putting them out there in regards to getting a book, getting them submitted to gigs and everything, and actually um, foregoing like the whole negotiation process if needed. You know, so okay. that's what it's mainly about. It's about branding and getting the artists out there because a lot of times when we um. In this area, the DMV area, we don't have representation a lot. You know, some people have had bad raps in regards to management and agencies and stuff like that. And some people who doing who are doing the actual bookings, they don't accept agents. You know, they rather take the take it to the you know direct contact with the artists and everything. But right. in this in, in the real format, the traditional format of the whole scheme of things. They're supposed to mainly go through the agent and manage. Right, exactly. So, so like in this area, we we must get used to an agent being able to talk to an agent or negotiate with an agent to to book the talent. You know, some people, you know, so they, I guess they feel as though it's easy. You know, but sometimes, like you know, artists can get they can get manipulated. So. It's best that it is a third party in the middle, negotiate between the two, um, someone who can talk and, you know, negotiate the whole terms and everything. Um, because a lot of artists don't know how to talk, for one thing. Yeah, I, that's I have, right. you know, um, I, I've learned that, too. They don't know how to speak up for themselves in regards to handling certain aspects of their schedule and stuff like that, you know, and negotiating with people who wants to book them. They'd rather just show up 
do their job, you know, paid or not paid, and they get done with the project, get their reel afterwards, and that's it. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, speaking of uh, actors speaking up for themselves and making right choices, uh, now what's your take on web series? Do you think uh, web series are a good choice for aspiring actors? Um, aspiring actors, aspiring actors, um, yes. And yes and no, because um, it depends on the level, because a lot of people who are booking or, who, or producing web series, they want their web series to be top-notch top quality acting, you know, in some in some ways though it's it's good for the actors because they gain experience and, you know, they can they can add to their reel. Um, they can begin, you know what I'm saying, build up a fan base. Um, they can feed their fan base. They're already um building a fan base. So they can add on to their fan base by promoting it and everything, getting their name out there for themselves. Well, but some if they're just getting their foot in the door if they're first time acting it's good, but then it's like they they shouldn't expect a lead role or anything. So it is good. Yes, I, I do say it's good, but it's not good for for the ones who are not that good at acting. You know, because some people are very, very, like, like, like they're really just beginning. You know, right. and, they, and it can, you know, it depends on the quality of the acting. It can turn around. It can, it, it makes the, the web series look, it's the quality of it. You know, so sometimes it can be shot good but, but poorly acted. So, oh, yeah. so yeah. But it is a good it is a good thing for the actors and everything. So I do agree with that. Now you talk about the quality of acting, you know, uh, those that are just starting out, those that have been in the business for a while. What do you look for in an actor? What I look for in an actor is is their work ethic their work ethic and their marketability, you know, um, be that as it may, even though um, it's all about the skill, you know, the skill in regards to acting and everything, I look at their resumes, like when I, when I approach an artist or an artist approach me for representation, I look for their work ethic in regards to going, being a go-getter, going out there to the audition because this is an up-and-down business. You can be hot for like a whole week and then be, you'll be cold for like the rest of the month. You know, you won't be getting no gigs. It was like up-and-down market. So with that said, I, I need to have people that I represent to know that's what's happening and that they need to have a very, very strong will and being able to take the notes, you know, that's like when they're not getting gigs and not get called back, you know, they're going to like a hundred auditions, but only one call back or no call back. So they have to have mm. tough skin, work ethic, and, you know, marketability, and, and to be able to look forward to advancing their already skill set, because if they already have a nice set of skills for acting, they need to still improve, because there's always room for improvement. You're lacking in some sort of way, you know, in, um, when you're acting, so... Be that pulling like emotions out, you know, um, apply your skill set. Cause some people are just like aspiring, but they don't know how to apply a certain technique to where though they they need to like cry on a dot on a drop of a dime, you know. So they need to advance in that in that field, you know, for the people who don't know how to do that. So yeah. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Do you think actors should create their own projects? Um, create their own projects. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree to, that they do need to, you know, at, at, some, at a certain point they do. Um, because, um, like, say, it's like if they're not getting a lot of work and they have, like, the resources to pull together a minor crew or, or, or people that knew, do know how to put together a small crew for cameras, lighting, sound, um, writing, that sort of thing, and they can yeah. put together um, a project. That's good for them, you know, but if some people don't have the, they don't have the connection with resources like that, I don't, I don't suggest that they just jump out there and try it because it's frustrating because you have to deal mm. with a lot of personalities, a lot of people's schedules and stuff like that. But if you're seasoned and you've been around the block for a while, I do, I, I recommend that you can, yeah, you can go out and do your own thing, like in between jobs. Like while you're out there, you know, still acting other people's projects, you can still create your own. But schedule and manage your schedule a lot. I mean, better, a lot better than um, what you um, usually do. So it is a good thing. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So let's switch indeed. gears to some of your films. The Saki Effect. What's that all about? Oh, the Saki Effect. Um, the Saki Effect came um, from Miss um, Karen Alford. You know, she's a good friend of mine, and and she wrote the whole short film. Um, Saki, she's uh, replacing uh, another actor, model, who was replaced, and that's why we have Saki Effect. So it's the same story and everything. We just, the Saki Effect, and it's very, very good. I think it came out well, very well, and it's more like a a rich, young celebrity in her morning, in her day, going about going to a paid event that she's supposed to be attending to. So she's uh-huh. kind of like um, waiting on her chauffeur to come and get her, but she's taking her time getting ready, and so she's um she's going about her business, having a like, frustrating day with the phone call about the schedule and everything about about the, about the pay and everything in terms of the contract. But all the while she's supposed to be getting ready, she's playfully playfully teasing the chauffeur hmm. when he gets there to pick her up. So uh-huh. it's like a small scene and everything. It's a small scene, but it's for for the young lady who acted it out and everything, her first time is is real is very very good for her and everything. And it's good testament to you know the writing of Miss Miss Karen Alfred. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now they tell me that you're a fan of uh, Sid Field's screenwriting books. Uh, what's some of the things you've learned from those books? I've learned everything, everything from those books. Um. I I was introduced to those books by um, a guy named Russell Conright way back when I was working for the FCC, and he he brought those books to me from the library when I was when I was younger, and it's two books like the foundation of screenwriting and the handbook of script writing or something like that. It's two books, and like both of them are like two, three hundred some pages long. Had to, you know, I, I read through 
both of them, and I mastered the whole concept of how to write a screenplay. Full length, because they don't teach you shorts. Those books were published way back in the 80s. As a matter of fact, Sid Field was the first professional writer who wrote and created the first handbooks on teaching the, um, the foundations and the uh, fundamentals of script writing. So hmm. I learned everything. I learned everything from introducing the first act, the first character in ten minutes, the first ten, um, ten pages, the the plot point one, the plot point two, the climax, the middle, you know, the the, the confrontation part, everything. I, I, I mastered it all because there's, there's a whole lot that goes into script writing because you got to all the leads and principles have a backstory, and when you're really delving into character writing, you have to create, it's like you're creating a person before you even go down to writing the story because all these characters have to be developed. That's the development process when you're developing the backstory of each character. Not, not so the, um, the extras, but the leads mainly and the principal. Yeah. You know, so it's like all those small nuances that goes into their story and how they react to certain things and what they would do in a certain situation of the story is in their personalities goes for um, the telling of the story, you know. And once you know that, once you know your character, you can most definitely, you know, write your whole, write your own your screenplay. The screenplays are mostly, like, the minimum, as I learned, is 120, 120 pages. But some people write 80 pages, some people write 90 pages, you know. I wrote 129 pages, but but the thing is, when you're writing a screenplay, you write 120 pages, not knowing me, by my experience, 120 pages may be actually 240 minutes of footage. Because it's double, even though, yeah, even though they say that this is what they teach you when you're screenwriting. Each page is a minute. Right. But when you're writing, sometimes you're writing paragraphs. You're describing action sometimes. And action is, even though you're writing a, um, like maybe a four-line action scene or something like that, maybe seven-line action scene with the dialogue in the middle. Um, if that's on one page, you have like two or three paragraphs or something like that describing action on one page. That's page supposed to be one minute. Actually, when you're shooting it in production, it may be two, three, four minutes. So when you're writing oh, wow. a 120-page script, each page may not be one minute in production. It's right. be double that. So that's what I tell people. It's double that. Because when I vote, when I vote, I'm, when I vote Urban Survival, and I produce Urban Survival, the minutes were 240 some minutes. I had that's mm. why I say it's, it's double that. 120 oh, actually wow. is 240 minutes. Whoa. Yes, it is. That's a miniseries. Yes, it was. That's a miniseries right there. That's that's a that's a franchise. That's a franchise. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually wow. a franchise. You know, and some people don't they don't they don't know that. You know, that's why when I say when I, when people come to me about writing scripts and everything, maybe they be inspired about what I'm doing or what other people are doing, and, and they want to write. I tell them, start off with short. You start off with the short films, but. If it's going to be a short film, if it's, it has to be at least, for my taste anyway, um, 
15 to 30 pages. You know, if it's 15 pages, it's going to equal out to 25, 30 minutes. 25, right. 30 minutes of, of production, of footage. That's what it's because you have to double what you wrote. Each, each, each page is a minute, but it's double that when you're producing in actuality. Mm. So if it's 30 pages, look at it to being like 45 to a whole hour of footage. Especially like if you're writing a drama. Now, a drama is going to most definitely be double that. Because you're, you're, you know what I'm saying, classes of personality, situation, and everything like that. So an action that you have to actually, like, really shoot, and you got to edit the stuff together. And after you edit all that stuff together, you don't edit it up like, wait, the footage for one scene, for one page, off of one page. Yes, indeed. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Urban Survival, so tell me a little bit more about that. Urban Survival, uh, that's a, that was an action-packed, still is an action-packed movie. It's an urban drama, inner-city urban drama. Um, this is my first movie that I um, first movie that I had um, produced, directed, edited, and everything. Um, and it is still out now. It is about a um, group of, you know, street thugs who are actually, you know, drug dealers, and they meet their match in a career criminal crew who actually go around robbing people to, you know, they are career hmm. criminals. They call um, them stick-up boys. <laughs> they call mm-hmm. them boy. So it's like these are these are um, people that that you know they they don't bother nobody, but they're just making their lives the wrong way, and they yeah. just clashing. You know they you know bump group of people live by you no know, selling drugs, and another group of people live by taking money from the people who who sell drugs. So it's mm-hmm. like you have you have these clashes of um, you know. A situation with a group of people, and then there's a little bit of, of a backstory where is um a backstabbing that's going on amongst their group and everything. Another, it's like a message within it too. It's a message within the movie. You know, it's long. As a matter of fact, you know, people, it's, some people say it's supposed to be one hundred, like hour and 30 minutes. No, my movie, I, I shot everything. The only thing I didn't shoot was the funeral scene. Mm-hmm. I shot everything. Everything I wrote, I shot. <laughs> it was, like I said, 120 pages for 230 minutes. Of, um, it was like two hours and a two hours and a half. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was double. Absolutely. It was because mainly when you're dealing with drama and action, it's most definitely going to be double that. Triple. <laughs> Absolutely. So yes, yeah, it's a very, very good, um, good movie. We had, we had a nice little turnout in regards to the premiere and everything. I'm thinking about maybe screening it again. You know. Okay. Um, I might, we might put like a little double feature together. Me and my, um, my partners, um, you know, Matt Thurman, you know, Emmanuel Gallman and everything. We may, um, probably put something together and screen some shorts. And then also do some some feature length um, screenings about new movies, coupled with the with the old movie too. Right. I want to kind of take you down a path here and ask you a uh, a question about how you 
perceive, there's a word that's thrown around out there, the word boss. So in, in your business, what does that word boss mean to you? Ah, boss. Let me see. Um, uh, you know, you know. I, I mean, I, I recently saw the uh, a. I mean, my my opinion is this in regards to like someone that, that actually you know calls their own shots, live their own way, and um, also um, dictate their own and go about their own future and stuff like that. They're not dictated to by anyone else. And they actually, right. um, you know, they, they're not either, they, they're not falling to back and calling someone else, you know. You know, and some people who actually look upon a boss, they're also, like like a CEO is a boss, like a, um, uh, a director can be a boss, you know, a, a writer can be a boss because they're in the control of something that's like, like controlling of some sort of um of a situation or organization or their own of their situation or their company may be a boss in regards to um putting things out there for this entertainment industry for that for that sort of way in that definition. But a boss is more like someone who has like their their situation already under control and they're not dictated dictated to. Like I saw the um what's that? Damon, it was Damon Dash. I saw his, his yeah, video. Yeah. He was talking about the um, being the one. He was the only one a lot in the industry that a lot of people are not like him at all. He came in with his own money, and no one was dictating to him at all. So that's that's probably one of the main reasons why they probably got him out of the game because he he wasn't he wasn't copulating to anybody else's rules, and everybody else is like either funded by somebody else, you know, they they can't they're not gonna be able to function or anything unless somebody else dictates to them. Because they're waiting on a check for somebody else. You know. He paid right. for everything and everything. So well, and I respected that when I seen that video, you know, you know, I had to share it like a, a fifty million times after I seen that. I had to share that on video. <laughs> so that was that was good. I was proud of. You know, I I didn't know that because I thought that everybody really when I when I see him talk like that, I thought that him and everybody else that was under him and associated with him that was like really under somebody else's thumb. You know, but he said like no, nah, he, he wasn't. All they was giving him was more like distribution. You know, so so the big the, the big guys they wasn't they wasn't his boss at all. It's more like they had give him they had to give him a check. In regards to paying them their royalties, but but he came in with his own money, and I respected that, you know. Yeah, so. that, that's that, that's what's up. That's that's absolutely how it should work. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what's some advice you would give to some aspiring filmmakers out there? Um, aspiring filmmakers, I'll give them either. Know that this is very, very hard. This is not your whoa. Some people, some people who are aspiring. My thing is, don't jump in the, don't jump in it, don't jump in it as a filmmaker if you don't, if you're not really passionate at it. If you just want a quick buck, you mm. know, because I've been, mm-hmm. there is no quick buck in this at all. 
Mm-hmm. No, so there is no quick buck in it. Because when I was shooting my movies, it wasn't the the, the 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 amount of people that's out here shooting now. There was no way around to be seen. I think it was just only me and two other people who were shooting movies that was out here in the DMV area. It was only mm-hmm. me and two other people that I know of on my radar. There was there was never nobody. All these other people just popping up out of the woodwork. So uh-huh. I say to to them and anybody else that's following, like aspiring, they're looking in and they're seeing a lot of stuff that's going on. It looks good, but it's not peaches and cream. Some people will say they will say to you, "It's a hustle. You 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 hustling to be broke." <laughs> <laughs> You know, if that's if people can understand that, it's hard. That's how hard it is. You'll be hustling to be broke. So my wow. thing is, do not get into it unless unless you're down for the long, hard road. Whereas though, you know, shooting movies and it's hard to get distribution. You may not when you come in, you're not going to even have the resources to get distribution to get it licensed overseas. You're not going to have that. So if you're not down for the nose in that regard, don't get it in at all because this, this is not no quick buck. It's not no, I'm going to get a Netflix deal. Netflix going <laughs> to pick up my movie and all that, give me a million dollars. No, they're not giving that out to no one-timer, first-timer. They're not giving that out at all. So anybody that's thinking that, they're, they're going to be really, really, Disappointed. Very, very. Right. You know, because it, it is not, it's not easy. I'm not trying to sway people. You know, you know what I'm Because I know when I when I was doing it, it was like when I first came in, the field was wide open. Mm-hmm. Like you can run to the touchdown by yourself. Well, I was on the field by myself. Two other people with me. <laughs> now the whole field is full. You got, we got. 24, we got 24, 24 players. We got 11 people on each team, and and, and 50 teams out there. Right. More than 50 teams <laughs> out there. 11 people on the squad, on each squad, and 50 teams, 100 teams out there, 100 million teams out there on one field, and that's the film industry field. It's yeah. overcrowded. So there is no huh. quick buck, you know what I'm saying? But I will say that if you pass it. With that, I will say that if you're passionate about it, if they're um, well-meaning, if they're for the long haul, they're in it for the long haul and, you know, really dig in, you know what I'm saying, and get their resources right, organize a team, you know. Cause I've seen some people that, that have teams together that's very, very good out here, you know what I'm saying, and I like that. You know, I, I like that. I, I, I really can't say, I can't really persuade people because really, the DMV area needs that because just like Atlanta, because I know it's very, very oversaturated in Atlanta, the only thing about right. Atlanta is they got major press. We need major press. You know, like, yeah. if, like if my movie come out, I need major press. Um, if Antoine Simone movie come out, he needs major press, not just Fox News, not NBC News. We need some major, major people that got major magazines. They right. got major... Cable, even a cable show that's like really supported, even on a regional level. We need some press because they got press down there. Joe. That's how they. That's how they blowing up. That's not how they blowing yeah. up. They blew up. They blew up in the nineties. 
Atlanta, mm-hmm. Atlanta region was rocking way back to the 90s when Babyface was doing it. So yep. they've been doing it. So, but the press, they got press out there. If we don't have press, if we had like, because we can get this, I, I think a lot of people out here are doing what they're doing. They have monster success, so people have more success than others. So there are resources out here. There are resources that's been like networked and brought into the DMV area for area filmmakers. The thing is, press. Distribution, if like, I'm not saying like if one of us make it, all of us going to make it. You know, some people make it, and of course they're not going, they're not going to share the resources. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, like, like with my movie, Urban Survival, I've, um, I, I have it, I don't have no major distribution with for it, but what I do is I have it as a do-it-yourself distribution. It's not a deal. It's a distribution website where, though, when, when it's distributed, it's sold, the money comes directly to the filmmaker. You know? Okay. So with that, with that, what I've did, I've shared that information with others. And when they, um, and when they see that I've, you know, I'm sharing, I'm promoting it, I'm promoting my movie. So they see the link that it's a, it's a distribution um, thing. So there's a guy, um, guy named um, Blaze, Blaze Christensen. He's um, he's a um, black filmmaker out here. He picked uh-huh. up, he saw that it's distribution with that site. So he's, he's distributing coming from Africa on that website right now. He just released it like maybe a week or two ago. He just okay. released it. He's, he's been doing, he's been, he just released it on, online through the com website. That's a resource for area filmmakers. You can make your own, it's, it's free, and all they do is they just take percentage, which is like if it's sold for $10, they're taking three. There's no upfront okay. fees, there's no taxes or anything. All you have to do is market and promote yourself. And everything that's coming new through that website, what they do is they go market it on their on their new releases anyway on their website because they want other people to partake in the resource of their website anyway. So okay. IndieRain.com, dot com, Indie Rain, that's I N D I E Rain R E I G N dot com, IndieRain dot com. Uh-huh. Any filmmakers that's listening to this broadcast should partake in that distribution um, website. It's for any it's for any kind of filmmakers. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's that's what's up. Okay, so we're getting near the end of the segment. Uh, so tell tell us where we can see your films, man. Um, I have a website that I'm working on, and uh, but mainly right now they can see the they can see the trailers. Um, on my YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com/slash/fonzo49. And uh-huh. the IndieRain.com website, IndieRain.com. You can look up Earth Survival. I have um, the, I have the another short film on there, but I haven't officially released it yet. And I'm going to probably look into talking to Khan and maybe distribute um, the Saki Effect on there. But that may okay. that may be a free a free website and everything. So we have some stuff coming up. But yeah, Indie Rain on YouTube. You can just look up my name, Skinny Corleone. It's the only only name in the universe. So there's nobody have that name but me. That's good. <laughs> 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 
Okay, Skinny. Well, I learned something tonight, man. I really learned something. I really was just inspired to sit here hear you talk, man. It's uh, definitely going to have to have you on again in the near future. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity, too. That's, that's what's up. That's what's up. Okay, man. Well, I'm going to go on to my next guest. So, uh, man, you have a blessed night, man. All right. You too, man. Okay. All right. Be cool. Okay. So, we are now going to have a musical interlude. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we're going to bring in Johnson Kirsten, who has been cast in the zombie flick, The Undead, of which I'm a proud co-producer. And he is best known for his role as Ricky in Sleepaway Camp. And I'm going to bring him in after a brief musical interlude. Okay, so hold on. That was Black Rain by Jonathan Kirsten, and uh, he's not only a great actor, but he's uh, he's produced a little bit. Uh, he does scores for music, movies. He does a little bit of everything, and I understand he's calling from out there in, uh, I think it's Fort Collins, Colorado, so let me bring him on in. Good evening, Jonathan. How are you? Fantastic, fantastic. Thanks for uh, joining me tonight on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I understand you're out there in uh, Rocky Mountain, John Denver country. I am. You know, I uh, I was uh, born in New York City and uh, lived in New Jersey for a long time and then lived in Manhattan and then uh, came out here to play a gig in the early 90s and about six weeks later I... I kind of just gave everything up and went back, and I've never laughed. All right. Okay. So, um, you know, just looking at your career, you've been in the business for a while. You've been in the business for several years. How has the horror film genre changed since you started in the business? Well, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, to look back on it now after all these years, uh, that you know the '80s is really being the '80s are really being considered the, the you know the 
you know, the the era of the great slasher. And uh, I think we really did sort of lose something after that. I don't know what happened, but um, there's been, you know, uh, part and parcels of, you know, decent horror films here and again, but that really was an amazing era for horror films. And now, in modern times, I think you're seeing the best horror films come from the indie circuit because of the changes yeah. in tech. Absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of which, uh, a project that we're both familiar with, Young uh, Dead, Young Dead, zombie film. Who do you play in that? I play Matthew, uh, is it Jones? I think it's Jones. Um, and I just finished the script, and it's it's really awesome. And it's, you know, it's really, it, it's a classic film where, you know, it's not, you're not trying to, uh, you know, it's no gimmicks, no tricks, nothing. It's just, you know, about life and death and how you handle it and, you know, and characters. And, and I think that's where the best films like that come from. And uh, so I'm extremely excited uh, to play it. You know, my mom was almost crying because she found out I was playing a good guy. And, uh, it, it, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that you love playing villains. Why is that? Well, I don't love playing villains. I, I think it's actually easier. Uh, okay. Specs because, you know, their, their dynamic is easier. But I, somebody asked me uh, in an interview actually yesterday, you know, how will you go about playing a good guy? And I said, people are complicated. I don't care whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. I said, if you think playing a good guy is, you know, uh, harder than playing a bad guy, then you just don't understand what being a good guy is. Uh, I heard uh, Cat Williams <laughs> once. Cat Williams said, you know, all comedy comes from pain. And, uh, you know, uh, whatever comics don't do that are just bullshit comics. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. I would go with absolutely. Cat Williams' philosophy of uh, comedy goes to my philosophy of acting, um, okay. which is if you don't, if if a part of your soul doesn't, you know, uh, bleed into that character, then you're not doing it right. And, and yeah. you know that's what that's what separates interesting actors from boring actors. Speaking of parts of your soul, what parts of your soul did you draw into playing Ricky in uh, Sleeping, uh, Sleepaway Camp? Uh, the man, the best and the worst. Uh, okay. Gone through so much. My parents have been divorced. It was very messy. Um, my my stepmother wrote a book that got published about it. Uh, hmm. So after you know. Four years, it all got rehashed again. Mm. Um, uh, there were, uh, you know, uh, terrible feelings of abandonment uh, from my father, who was really more like more like me than my mother, um, mm. and and it was it was that was a very very difficult thing to come sort of. And I had two older brothers who you know, kind of uh, excluded me from the whole thing, you know, in the, you know, uh, guise of sort of protecting me. So, you know, uh, Sleepaway Camp to me was like a great catharsis because Ricky was, he was, you know, fiery and angry, but he understood justice. Mm. 
and and to me, I was like, I wanted to be more like Ricky, you know, and not not be so scared and terrified all the time. Yeah. Ricky, you know, bad happened. Ricky acted on it. That was it. No questions asked. Just Ricky went nuts. Mm. You know, and Ricky knew what was right, and Ricky knew what was wrong, and Ricky took care of it. Sort of reminded, you know, Ricky. Uh, I think I kind of based him on was uh, Sonny Corleone. Okay. Father James Con. That's absolutely that's <laughs> fiery character. Yeah, just you know. He understood the difference between uh, people who did right things and people who did wrong things. And if you did a wrong thing, Ricky went nuts. Yeah. And I love that about him. I've always loved that about him. I learned a lot from him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, you know, oftentimes in fiction, I guess it's... Uh, we do see characters that do things that uh, we wish we could do, and that's that's the beauty of fiction. It's what if, and you see that played out. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the uh, the, the best benefit of being an actor, I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I know that music is uh, who you are. So um, where can we see your music video, The Princess? Well, The Princess uh, is something we... It was funny. I was in um, Los Angeles doing the commentary and uh, and the documentary for the Sleepaway Camp Blu-ray. And uh, Justin Beam, who is producing the whole thing, said to me, do you have a music video? And I said, it's funny that you asked because I was supposed to shoot it right before I came out here, but uh, logistically things didn't work out. And... Then he gave us a deadline, and we we literally had a week to put the whole thing together. And I did it with uh, uh, Groovy TV and uh, a guy named Doug Newville and uh, Mark Haynes Jr. And we went to the Oriental Theater down in Denver. And then we shot, and then we realized we, well, Mark realized he didn't have enough footage, and he said, can I come to your house? And so he drove an hour up to Fort Collins, and we shot the rest up here. And... uh, it was just uh, a remarkable experience. And so that now it's going to be released on the Sleepaway Camp Blu-ray. It's going to be part of the package when it comes out on May 27th. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't, like as people say, you can't buy that kind of publicity, right? No, you can't. Uh, that's a real no. blessing. Yeah, I'm really, it's really real. excited about it. And I, uh, did the, I've been working on this project with my very dear friend, Mitch Desuarte, Um who actually, just before I called you guys, the reason I was late, I was telling my son that we're going to go see Monster Jam with Mitch and his son. So. <laughs> which is Monster <laughs> Trucks, which, you know, the seven-year-old loves. Oh, of course they do. <laughs> now, speaking of music, compare mixing and recording music to acting in a feature film. Well, uh... There's certain similarities and certain obvious differences. Um, when I the thing for me with mixing music that makes it, I guess, a little bit more complicated is that I have to uh, get a performance out of myself when I'm doing it. So I'm playing, you know, I'm wearing a bunch of hats. Acting in movies, you know, as you know, I kind of took 20 years off from that or so 
And when I got back and did the perfect house, it was, uh, I used whatever, you know, um, tricks I could figure out, uh, including a lot of physicality. I work out like a fanatic, so I used a lot of pushing, doing push-ups and jogging in place and swinging a sledgehammer and stuff like that to get myself relaxed. And the bottom line is, is that they're both part of the same thing. When I'm mixing, uh, it's only after a couple hours when I really start to do something that works because I've, then I've gotten all that other sort of uh, white noise out of my head. And with acting, you don't have that luxury, so you need to get rid of it quickly. And you need to be focused because otherwise no director or casting agent's ever going to hire you again. Uh, so I think what the difference is, is the uh, immediacy. Hmm. That's something I've heard a lot of times in this show. I wish I had a nickel every time I heard that. I mean, there's that white noise and that that funk, that sort of, I mean, it, you hear the, the, the term said not ready, rocking on go, and it's sort of like, gosh, it, it's feature film, especially TV, too. It's like, go. You just have to, like, well, go. So, I mean, yeah. Uh, all those cameras hooked up at the same time, so you're not going to get another shot at it. And, you know, I had a, uh, a, a, I was at my gym class today, which is uh, somewhere between CrossFit and Insanity. It's really mad. And this guy says to me, man, I didn't get here early enough. I couldn't warm up. And I said, but yeah, but now you have the fight or flight thing down. I said, you realize that you can just do this. And you can go from zero to go. I said, and I'm not saying that you should do that every time. But as an actor, that's your job. You know, you don't have to do this big warm up before every scene. Uh you know, we we did, as an acting student at NYU, you know, we could do, you know, exercises for an hour and a half and then do a five-minute scene. In reality, that just doesn't work. Uh, but you do need to put in the time behind, you know, you need to put in the time, you know, uh, beforehand. Otherwise, if you show up unprepared, then you're just, you know, you're not, you're not going to give a great performance. Well, well, and you say beforehand, I guess... Is this something that's hours before, the night before, or how do you approach it? Oh, many. I mean, for The Perfect House, I worked for uh, three months. Yeah. Uh, Not just developing the character, but also just figuring out how to get myself relaxed and as centered as I I used to be when I, you know, as I, when I play music live or when I, uh, you know, was in acting school and, uh, I, I actually went back to an Uta Hagen exercise because I had done an after-school special with her, and even though we only had a very uh, brief meeting, she was such an inspiration, and so that was the first thing I looked up, and uh, and then I I practiced it, and uh, I didn't learn my lines very well. It's hmm. Another thing I I don't really believe in. Hmm. Your lines too well, you they're gonna seem rote. And, you know, yeah. these years of learning, uh, you know, songs by other performers and stuff, it's just I, I'm so good at picking stuff up very quickly. Like the director could change the lines that moment and I'd probably be okay the next take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's all about being relaxed, too. Absolutely. 
Yeah, what's some of the things you learned from Uta Hagen? Oh man, uh, that in- intensity should not be confused with uh, mania, and that uh, you know, being relaxed and sort of being in that in that moment for everything hmm. is is something that takes years of study. I think I, I talked with um, shoot, I'm spacing his name now uh, from um, Children of the Corn. Um, one of my best friends, and I always space his name. Red hair. Anyway, um, and we talked about this, and he, you know, has worked on with meditation and stuff, and so have I. And and, you know, for me, I, I use exercise sometimes as, as a method of getting to that point of relaxation. But being centered and being in the moment and being energized has nothing to do with being sort of uh, crazy and over the top. Just uh, Courtney Gaines, that's who I was trying to think of. But um, okay. Courtney, you know, has done a lot of uh, study in, in Buddhism and meditation and stuff. And... You know, to be energized and focused takes the first thing you need to do is relax. And, mm-hmm. and sort of, but to not confuse relaxation with the way a lot of people look at it. You know, relaxation means you're aware of all your your body. Uh-huh. That helps you to sort of focus and lift. And, you know, half of acting is listening. At least half. Mm. And reacting. You react to what you're, you know, you hope you have good actors around you, right? And you <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You react to what, but even when you don't, you you can, you know, even use a bad actor. I, I won't mention what movie I did that, but, uh, you know, I used the bad actor to, he just pissed me off so much that it made my character even more intense. Hmm. Yeah, you use what you can. Anything, literally. If you hear a song on the radio, if you hear a conversation, if you hear an argument between the, you know, the first and second AD, whatever, just use it. (laughs) That's it. That's the glory of the whole thing. Is that? Yeah. And I mean, that's that's the glory of like life. And everything is that you can use all of it, and you know people get bogged down in in the the mundanity of life. And I'm like, no, it's not mundane. It's in, it's intense and interesting. I said, it's just it, if you're looking at it, you know, from a negative standpoint, well, then I guess it's mundane to you. But you know, we're all, we're all getting older and we're all gonna die, and I get that, and I'm perfectly okay with it. But in the meanwhile, you know, smile a little and laugh and uh but experience the wonder that is uh you know your own emotions everything intense yeah and it can be really interesting if you if you portray it uh and if and if somebody is you know if you get lucky enough so somebody wants to actually put you on film especially after you quit a business for 20 years and (laughs) and they still want to have you on film and do something well holy shit wow yeah how great is that you gotta bring it yeah, it's just the, it's the best feeling in the world. I just I can't imagine as a musician not showing up to one of these acting shoots prepared. 
I can't imagine. It would drive, uh, it would make me crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing to not know your lines well, it's another thing to not have studied your character. Got to study your character. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, they, they come from the inside out. We don't go to watch, you know, Don Corleone. We go to watch Marlon Brando portraying Don Corleone. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And it's my favorite movie, too, so I guess that's why I always bring it up. <laughs> A lot of people's favorite movie. <laughs> deservedly so, you know? Yeah. His performance is so breathtaking. And I just I, My favorite line is, You could act like a man! <laughs> <laughs> he was a great actor. Stage and everything oh. from... Uh, Streetcar Named Desire on down at this. Uh, yeah, and I never got to see him on the waterfront. Yeah, I heard he was even better on stage. That's yeah, that's what I've heard too. That it, uh, he's just simply amazing, simply amazing. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more about your music, man. So you've done uh, what's some of the movie soundtracks you've done? Well, hey, this this. The whole movie thing started in um, 2000 with, uh, I think it was called, uh, what was that, Getting, no, what the heck was the name of that? I can't remember. It had Ray Wise um, from, you know, 24 and, uh, and any number of other TV things. He's a very famous actor. And, um, and uh, this guy saw us play, I had, taken my band out to L.A., and this guy saw us play, and he uh, said, can we put some of your songs in our movie? And I, I was like, you know, this was after I'd been out of the business for quite some time. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was still working a day job. Uh, and then uh, I think it was about five years later that another movie producer out of Denver asked for one of my songs for his movie, which was, like, totally random. And then in um, 07, um, my friend Sean Crouch, who had also, I met him because I had played in L.A. in um, 04, uh, and he was writing for the television show Numbers. And Hmm. he, and he, um, they were doing this short film with David Krumholtz from Numbers. And they asked me if I would score it. And, uh, you know, without any real knowledge of what that entailed, I said, oh, sure. And, um, you know, the whole film was seven and a half minutes long. And I spent about 25 hours with the first person I was working with. This was before I had a home studio. And Mm. the director um, and Jason Newdecker was like, uh, no, I hate it. <laughs> and so then I hired uh, my new guitar player, Adam Schalke, and we put together a piece, and then he ended up loving that. And so that was the first thing I ever scored. And then uh, after that, you know, I, I vowed, you know, after spending more than 50 hours on a seven-and-a-half-minute piece, I was like, man, maybe that's not the career for me. Uh, but... Then people started asking if I would do soundtrack work, and more, most recently, 
you know, I did the theme song for The Perfect House and um, with my cousin Peter Cooperschmid. And then I did uh, two songs for the new Plan 9 remake, which uh, should be out sometime this year. And uh, hmm, okay. for two covers of, of 1956 classic songs. One is the Mickey and Sylvia song, Love is Strange. And then Tiffany Shep has heard that one and said, can we use this for my short Emmons for Matchmaker? And I was like, of course. And so, mm. you know, um, now I, I guess I see my, my future path for a lot of this is, you know, to add the soundtrack. Soundtrack. I guess would I do a score again? Sure, but I, I don't. I don't see myself uh, preparing to be an actor, especially a lead in a film, and trying to do the score at the same time. That's just that's too much to um, chew on. And that. You know, the exciting thing for me is now I'm going to start performing live again, and I really miss that. And so I have a performance scheduled literally at my house <laughs> on uh-huh. June 20th uh, with uh, the band The Young Ancients, which consists of two uh, members of the Subdudes and uh, Carrie Morin, who are just, they're just such staggeringly amazing musicians. And then uh, me and my, my buddy Mitch, and we'll see who we put together as a band, but uh, really just amazing and so yeah i mean i want to i'd like to play you know 15 20 shows a year if if everything works right um but i don't i don't see myself going on any long drawn out tours i mean i think my focus has sort of shifted to acting and producing gotcha gotcha yeah you know and writing music i just you know i have a family the idea of being on the road for a long time is not very uh appealing yeah, yeah. Now, but I, I, I mean, and I live in paradise. There that, oh, you had something else? I said, and, and I live in paradise, so it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like, why would I want to leave? <laughs> it's just yeah. it's a in, uh, phenomenal. Yeah, paradise. Yeah. yeah, Fort Collins, Colorado is so beautiful, and I live on an acre, and that's why we're having the, the concert in my backyard, and so it's just going to be amazing. Do you have a good view of the Rockies? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we see the, what is called the symbol of Fort Collins, which is horse tooth rock, which looks like an upside-down horse's tooth. Um, hmm. my, my son can see it from his bedroom, and uh, you can see it from my backyard, and you can also see um, Long's Peak, the 14,000-foot peak. So it's pretty great. Fantastic, uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a beautiful place to live. Uh, you know, John Ashton, who played Taggart in Beverly Hills Cop, he lives here too. And uh, hmm. you know, it's uh, you know, so if you have to travel to you know uh, L.A., you know, and that's fine. And also, but if you you know, if I lose a little work because I'm here, um, that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, you got your priorities straight. <laughs> That's what all that matters. Yeah, no, and it's it's a really. I always say to anybody who I do an interview with, I'm like, our house is an open door. You want to come visit? You come visit and you stay. <laughs> it's like <laughs> sleep here. It's all fine. You can pitch a tent yeah. in the backyard. Sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. It really is. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's some buzz out there that um, you're not a big fan of awards. I've heard that. Like, uh, like for example, what would be your – what would you have against, like, the Oscars and the Grammys? I don't have anything against them, per se. I just uh-huh. – uh, I'm just – I don't have anything against them. I'm just not particularly interested in them. Um, okay. I I grew up as a as a really huge Woody Allen fan, um, which is why some of the more recent stuff has really driven me nuts. Um, <laughs> uh, but I just you know, and I know he never showed up. I know Brando never showed up. Um, I've always thought awards for art were fairly confusing. Hmm. And I, I did a, uh, and I mean, I have friends who will argue against me for this, you know, till they're blue in the face. And I said, you're missing my point. My point is, I don't want to argue with you at all. <laughs> I'm not telling you that you enjoying this or liking it is a bad thing. I don't care. Hmm. I am telling you that if I were ever nominated, I wouldn't be there. And they always say, why is that? And I said, because I'm sure I have something better to do. (laughs) And I would make a point to have something better to do at that point. But (laughs) I don't don't even like being around uh, people in the business for any reason Mm. other than when we're working. Um, one of the reasons I quit the business in the first place was because I just I hated the way people talked about it. I don't. I didn't like being around musicians either. Um, I, you know, it's it's that weird dichotomy between the art you're creating and the uh, the business of the art. Okay. And I was always terribly uncomfortable with that and I, I became a terrible pariah in the Denver music scene um, huh. and you know because they just they were like he you know he thinks he's better than the rest of us and I was like I don't think I'm better than you I just don't being I don't like being around you there's a huge okay. and and you're 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 telling me that there's this uh, local uh community of musicians that are all supporting each other and I'm telling you you're lying because hmm. you're all stabbing each other in the back at every chance you get and everything you do is, is a load of crap when it comes to I just oh I love their music oh my god I love them you know and then you talk to that same person in private and they go god he just sucks and hmm. I just <laughs> got to a point where I was like I was like wow this is a lot like what being in the acting world in New York was. Um, and I just, I realized that I was trying to, when I split the whole scene, I was trying to find what mattered to me. And uh, and it was really small things, you know. You know, the, being able to just be honest with the people who are close to you. It took me yeah. a long time to get there. Holy shit, man. Long time because it was there were a lot of dark, stupid years there, um, and you know years where I was like, I don't understand why I'm not getting the adulation that I feel like I deserve. 
yeah. uh, not 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 for Sleepaway Camp, which I would deny I was even in, but um, but for my music. Mm-hmm. You know? And that is true. I actually used to deny I was in Sleepaway Camp. I would lie about it. You can ask you can mm. ask Felissa about that. She she thinks it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, man, you're yeah, so intense. Yeah. Well, and it, but she said, you know, she said that, you know, my my major in college was brooding. <laughs> and it's, you know, she said it's a great irony because now you're, you know, very positive person, and I really am, but I wasn't for many years. Um, but I, as far as getting back to the point, the award shows, no, I just have no interest at all. Just the little oh. things seem silly. Yeah, because I know you won an award for uh, your film, The Perfect House. I mean, does that make you feel strongly (laughs) one way or the other? Well, yeah, I guess I was was flattered. Okay. Um, But, uh, you know, the difference between The Perfect House and Return to Sleepaway Camp was that I knew, you know, if the director, Chris Holbert, picked the right shots that I did a great performance. And uh, so I trusted in him, and thankfully he did, um, to pick the right takes. And, and you know, also uh, that the cinematographer shot them so brilliantly because, you know, obviously there's some terrible clunker takes in there as well. Um, but... Um, I guess, yeah, I guess I was, um, I had mixed feelings about winning the award. Um, and, you know, even though I've used it in my resume, which is, you know, great hypocrisy, but I had mixed feelings about it because, you know, I mean, the question is, is you know, I, you know what made me feel better than the awards? I think this is a better explanation. Uh-huh. Um, a girl said to me, I think it was two days ago, she said, you're so damn creepy, and I wanted mm. to hate you, but you're so hot. <laughs> <laughs> she said, so the creepy hot guy, she said, that is the worst villain ever. <laughs> mm. I said, I said, that is the best description I've ever heard because never ever would a would a reviewer admit that that was the allure of a character, you know. Mm. That and and the funniest thing was the way I played John Dozy was I mean it's hotness aside I have no idea but I wanted him to be somebody that people could understand because everybody kept asking me how do you play somebody that mean I was like. It's easy, I said, to play them to the point where they uh, are interesting and make you want to keep watching them. I said, that's not interesting. I mean, that's not easy. Mm. That's hard. I said, that takes, you got to give the character charisma. You got to give the character a backstory. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's why Freddy Krueger works, you know? Why, mm. you know, there's not a lot of great, you know, scary guys that, you know, that's why Anthony Perkins was so good, because he felt yeah. sorry for him, you know, 
Whereas John Dozy was totally different. You didn't feel sorry for him. And, you know, everybody said, oh, you were kind of like Dexter. And I was like, no, much, <laughs> much, much, I, to, in, to my mind, much more real and much meaner than Dexter. Mm. Uh, because you know, the whole Dexter thing takes a real leap of faith to be able to, you know, accept it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, you know, they talk right. about him being a, a, a psychopath, and yet he obviously experiences deep emotions, whereas John Dozy does not. I would love to, you know, de- you know, delve deeper into John Dozy because I already have an idea of where he would end up. But you know, we'll see. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Now the story goes that you did a commercial with Gabe Kaplan from Welcome Back, Carter, and mm-hmm. he reportedly said that you were a natural. So I he mean, did. what? What um, qualities do you think a natural has? You know, I would go to uh, Derek Jacobi, the great British actor and, and director. Uh-huh. Um, there is a it's, a... it's a combination of two things, I think. Um, one is, you know, just whatever uh, DNA and charisma was built into your DNA. Uh-huh. Obviously. And the other is the desperate need to either make people laugh or please them. Um, and it's a terrible burden, uh, but it's there. And so Gabe understands that, and I understand that. And I even understood it then. It's like... It's like this, you have to have these tiny little victories of making people laugh and making people smile all the time. Otherwise, your life is just not fulfilled. Hmm. And and you're just desperate to do it all the damn time, and you can't stop doing it. And it's not, it's not something you do like... Um, how do I put it? It's not, it's not something where you're like... Oh my God! I really want to make this person laugh. It's just innately who you are, and so every painful situation for you, you want to end in laughter and smile. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes to what comedy is. I mean, I think if I if I were if I if I weren't a musician, I would have become a stand-up. Hmm. Um, because it, I I can't imagine what else I would have done. Um, huh. I mean, I had real problems. I, I hated them. And what made me even more angry was that I was good at them because I was raised with that, you know, uh, sort of Judeo-Christian sensibility of, you know, you've got to do this and you've got to do that and then you've got to have a child and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, yeah. but for me, uh, it, I think that part of being a natural is that it really, it means so much to you to make people laugh. And because of that, you hone that skill. Mm. And that's why, because I made Gabe laugh. <laughs> and, you know, to make a comedian laugh is not the easiest thing. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, his sort of viewpoint of most of the kids in my high school, yeah, who were all trying to, like, show off and stuff, there was a total difference, you know. I wasn't showing off. I was, you know... Mm. I was being me, and he thought that was funny. Yeah. And 
you know, these other kids, you know, that they were either crippled by his fame, which he was pretty famous at that point, uh, or they were trying too hard. Hmm. And hmm. that's a huge difference. And, and it, you know, you think it's a skill. And I think more than a skill, it's almost a need. It just was, yeah. it, it was and it is who I am. And it's funny because my son totally inherited it. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> got on his report card um, yesterday from his music teacher, who I can't stand. And call her the pinched <laughs> vagina. Um, oh. But uh, that she uh, she put, and she didn't even write it in a complete sentence, but she wrote, um, talking disrupts others. And I was like, well, how about you find out if he's really a good musician, you idiot? Mm. But that's <laughs> doing what she's doing. But And that doesn't mean that other teachers who teach music to, you know, second graders aren't great musicians, because I'm sure there right. are, but... He just isn't one. And uh, so I just, I, you know, I, I was laughing when I read his report card and then I read it to my wife and she goes, I can't stand that woman. <laughs> <laughs> I said, huh? Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great answer. That's a really, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I've never She's, heard it explained that way. Well, it's just, you know, she thinks that, you know, like listening and paying attention and being obedient defines, you know, how you're going to get through music class. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> no creativity. Wow. Like, if you can't how to, how to channel his uh, energies, he's not having problems in any other courses like science and social studies and math and English. I was like, but you're having problems in music? I said, that's because you're too pinched. Mm. <laughs> and their, their musical programs are like this, you know, like this uh, uh, testament to political uh, correctness. It's just annoying. Yeah. Uh, the last one we uh. sat through, we were just like, and, you know, because in kindergarten it was cute. In first grade we were like, eh, and then second grade we were like, shouldn't she be challenging them a little more? You know, like, shouldn't some of the kids be singing solos or something? Right. You know, they reach this point where it's just everybody is equal all the time. But she's not even yeah. going to try and that if any of these kids are exceptional. And I don't even care if it's my kid. You know, just, I'm sure there's kids in there who are exceptional. Exactly. But we don't do exactly. that. We don't, we don't like it, you know, when, you know, we do it for sports. Oh God, do we do it for sports? Um, you know, our political correctness, you know, reaches only a certain level. It's like, it, you know, they're, they're politically correct when the kids are five or six or seven in sports. And then, then that goes right out the window because, you know, the recruiters are coming in when they're 10 or 11 or 12. So, but, uh, I just think it's, you know. Uh, the idea yeah. is, at some point, you have to determine what strengths and weaknesses. It's, it's not to leave certain kids behind, but I think your job as a teacher is to determine strengths and weaknesses. Um, yeah, see what they're good at. See what they're good yeah. at. You know, they all have different levels. I know uh, my daughter is uh, self-taught in the piano, and uh, she's also an accomplished violinist. 
And, uh, oh, I love it. You know, That's it's incredible. Like amazing. That- what they they can do, you don't know they can do all that. You know, it's amazing. Oh, that's a that's a bizarre. How old is she? Uh, she'll be fourteen in May. Oh my gosh! How, what what day in May? What's that now? What day in May? Oh, the twenty fifth. Oh yeah, because my son's May ninth. But um, yeah, I mean, via and violin. I mean, to even be able to play well enough so it doesn't sound like you're strangling, you know, a chicken. Is, yeah. is miraculous. <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a brutally difficult instrument. My father plays concert bassoon, sort of similar. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean that's you know, and so you let your kids figure out what they want to do, and then you know you try and guide them a little bit because you know sometimes they need a little extra motivation to not let things go. Um so they don't spend their lives regretting something that they should have done or could have done. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, Bill? Yeah. I, you know, I tell on myself a little bit. I took uh, piano lessons up until about 13. I guess for some reason I didn't like it. I I, I was okay at it, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't... Uh, had the skill, but not necessarily the will. So you got to have the will, too. That's the other part of it, too. <laughs> Again, I'll go with what Derek Jacoby said about acting. He said um, yeah. it, has to be, it has to be a need to. It can't be a want to. And it's the same thing with music. And he says, because nobody would live this life if they had the choice. He said, And he said, I'm talking from the perspective of someone who's, quote, unquote, successful. Mm-hmm. Because it's awful. He said, and I always tell my wife, I'm like, you know, rejection and disappointment is my job description. Yeah. When I was 35. Because yeah, it's so was, subjective. Yeah, when I was 35 years old, that's why I don't like award shows. When I was 35 years old, the CEO of the company that I was working retail for said to me, because they were offering me these promotions and I kept turning them down. He said, what makes you think you can do anything other than this? Hmm. Great motivator. Hmm. You know, Hmm. whether he knows it or not, it helped. Yeah. You know, working 50 hours a week at my retail job and, you know, playing gigs wherever I could on the weekends and then using my vacation time to tour. And, um... And I, I don't know any regrets or any anger or anything. Happy. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Came out the other end, and now all these fun things are happening. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And my son gets. So, uh, we're, we're getting down to about eight minutes to go. So uh, I want you to. Uh, wow, there's so much I could ask you, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I was going to have you get into, like, advice for actors, but I think we tread that ground. Talk briefly about uh, your film Redemption, what that was all about, and uh, how fans can keep up with you. Well, Redemption was a really uh, amazing project. I don't have a what you would con- be considered a large role in it, but I got to uh-huh. work out with George Loros from... 
who played Buffalo Ray Curto on The Sopranos, and he knew Brando, had worked with him, and everybody on Redemption was a method actor um, mm. from either the Actor Studio or the Strasbourg Institute or New York University, which is where I went to school. And, yeah. Uh, so really intense Amazing. Uh, meeting Barry Primus, another uh, contemporary of uh, of um, De Niro, and Barry did. Uh, he actually uh, wrote and directed a movie that De Niro was in, and um, and I actually, and then I stayed on after I had done my part. I stayed on as crew. Uh huh. Um, just sort of to immerse myself in the experience. And uh, the film is a project by a guy who's an acting teacher at NYU called, uh, named Timothy Martin Krauss. And I'm very, very excited. They, they're just about to start hitting the festival circuit. And I had such juicy, wonderful scenes. And I got to do a, you know, a scene opposite George Loras, but then I also got to do a big chase scene in a fight with, uh, with a fight coordinator in the whole nine yards with uh, Tim. And uh, it was just, it was terribly, it was just a wonderful experience, it really was. And, uh, and I'm, you know, it, it took a long time for it to come out, but I'm, I'm really, really, really excited uh, to see what the final product looks, at, looks like. Because I know Tim is, like, such a perfectionist. He's, like, <laughs> he's crazy perfectionist, so I'm sure it's going to look phenomenal and uh, and, you know, George was amazing. And um, as far as getting in touch with me, it's pretty easy. Um, you can do jonathantierson.com, which is not all that complicated, uh, which is my website. And I do actually, and I run it myself, so if somebody gets in touch from there, then I will immediately get in touch with back. Uh, there is also my fan page on Facebook, which is um, Jonathan Tiersten and Ten Tears, which is my nom de plume, which is my last name, syllabically reversed. Um, and, and my regular Facebook page, which, you know, if you're willing to listen to my uh, philosophical rants and political rants, then you're more than welcome. <laughs> <laughs> to, to come on, um, and uh, beyond that, I guess I'm on. What am I on? Pinterest. I'm on Twitter. Um, I just joined Twitter like I don't know, three, four months ago, and I already have I think 1,100 uh, followers, which is fun. And the most my my most favorite follower to date is from yesterday, which was um, Lauren Ashley Carter, who played the lead in Jug uh, Face. Um, which okay. is a movie uh, that my friend Ron Oliver, who was a great director, um, bought for me on my birthday because my wife and son were in Iowa on my birthday, and he was like, you're alone on your birthday? And so he bought me this movie, and I watched it, and it's a really great movie. And um, she got in touch with me. Well, I don't remember. I think I got in touch with her first on Twitter, but then she got back in touch with me and said, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're kind of a big deal to me. And then she put hashtag sleepaway camp. <laughs> like, all right, this is crazy. Um, so I talked to 
Ezra about, you know, maybe trying to cast her in something if we can afford her, but we'll see. But uh, that was really cool because I was just like, I was so impressed with her performance. And, you know, she's a young kid and um, she was so good in that movie. And they won a, man, they won a, speaking of awards, they won a ton. But, uh, and she's very hot right now. And, but uh, it was so crazy to hear her say, you're kind of a big deal to me. And then she said, actor of well, my last. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of, yep. you know, excited by that. But, you know, and then as far as my music, obviously, uh, you know, iTunes, uh, Reverb Nation, YouTube, the whole nine yards. I, you know, you know, I don't care whether you buy it or whatever. I just want you to listen to it. And, um, yep. you know, maybe. Well, I'll... Jonathan, it was fantastic. I really learned a lot tonight. Uh, it was a very, uh, we, it was a very in depth, in depth. It, it was more than a, a, a interview. I think it was a conversation. I think we had a very in depth conversation. I, I really I will, enjoyed I will it. Relate, I... I will relate this to you. That's exactly what George Loro said acting is. He said, all these people, when we were on Redemption, he goes, they're, they're just acting. That you and I had a conversation. Yeah. So that's a great interview. Is like good acting. Yeah. That's the way to have a conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it because this was fun. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, you're welcome. Yes. Okay, hey, well, you have a blessed night and a blessed week. Thank you, sir. Okay, all right. Good night. And I want to leave my listeners with this thought to do something for your career every day and break a leg. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.